Good morning. Good morning. Man, that prayer time. Man, got to graduate and all that stuff. All the feels are coming and graduation tomorrow. And oh boy, that was, thanks, Matt. Appreciate that. <laughs> and then get up there and preach, right? Um, no, thank you to our church, your influence on our graduates. Thank you for your support that, have, that has been there for a long time and also um, as they go off to college. So it's great to be able to send these, these four off into the, uh, the next step and uh, a beautiful thing for us as a church to be able to do that. Um, I went to Southeastern Seminary from 1996 to 99, two days before graduation. Two days before graduation, I went to get my cap and gown, and I ran into a guy by the name of C.B. Scott. C.B. Scott was a pastor for a long time, and he was actually taking a break. He was, uh, he was auditing some classes at the seminary. He was 50 years old at the time. I was 27 years old. I'm 50 now. C.B. saw me walking in to get my cap and gown. And he said, hey, I got something to tell you. Okay. We went to church together. He had already had a degree. He was auditing some classes. He was doing maintenance work. And he was just taking a break from ministry and helping out local pastors that were local people going into the ministry at the seminary in Southeastern. He said, Matt, tomorrow there's going to be about two days from now, there's going to be about 350 graduates. They're going to graduate from Southeastern. He said, I'm going to say that there's probably about a hundred of them that are truly called to ministry. And of that hundred, about 50 of them are going to make it and finish strong. I think you're one of the hundred. And I asked him, well, why am I not one of the 50? And he said, time will tell. Don't be a hypocrite. And he walked off. And I went into the corner and I sucked my thumb and I. And I <laughs> do I do I really want to do this? And I can't tell you right now that one of the biggest issues that people today have for giving their lives to Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus is because of hypocrites. And let's just get this all out in the open. We all are to a certain degree. Amen? We all are to a certain degree. And Jesus knew that. And he still died for us. He knew what he was getting. And he knew what he could produce. And he is coming after us and helping us to understand who he is. Listen, he's chasing us down so that our yes might be yes, our no might be no. In chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, I'm coming after your heart. I don't want you not to just physically not have an affair. I want you not to have one in your heart. I don't want you to not murder someone physically. I don't want you to do it in your heart. In chapter 5... He is coming after our hearts. Because it's important that if we're going to live in this kingdom, that our hearts are being transformed. And in chapter 6, he comes and he says, 
Now, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to be like the hypocrites. They do this, and I don't want you to do that. I did not die for you to do this and be really far from me, to appear to be close to me, but really be far from me. And one of the areas of our hypocrisy that he addresses is the issue of prayer. And Ryan, two weeks ago, was talking about how they would stand up and their motivation for praying would be, look at me, look at me, look how spiritual I am. And in Matthew chapter 6, he takes this issue of prayer and is talking about how the hypocrisy and our commitment to prayer and how they go together and shouldn't go together. I, I don't know that if... If we're honest right now, the issue is not about, our, about praying and the importance of prayer. The issue is our application of it. Because if we're very honest, most of the time our prayer is very sparse and sporadic. Let's be real. I think an outline, and I learned this from Tim Mackey. It didn't come from me. Our outline, Bible Project Tim Mackey. Our outline for prayer a lot of times is... Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help me, help me, help me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so that is kind of the way that we uh, approach it. But here is what Jesus is teaching. And even what Jesus demonstrates is that prayer is and should be to the life of a disciple like breathing. It is our, it's our breath. It's pray without ceasing, as it says in First Thessalonians. Thessalonians 5.17. The Bible teaches us over and over again, over and over and over and over again. I want you to keep asking. I want you to keep seeking. I want you to keep knocking. I hear you. I see you. And I want to hear from you. I want you to voice your confidence and trust in me. It's a way that we talk to the God of the universe. And we're invited to do that. We are not an uninvited guest into his presence. We're not Uncle Eddie at Christmas. Okay, Dumb and Dumber reference last week, Christmas vacation this week. Ryan and I would like to say, you're welcome. Okay, we're not Uncle Eddie. We're, we, we are invited by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to talk to him. To talk to him. And he has a promise he's given to us. I hear you. I see you. And so what he's wanting us not to do is he's not wanting us to be like the hypocrites that privately it really isn't a part of our life, but publicly it is because of just a show. Our motivation is just not where it should be. It's really for the applause of men. You see, th the absence of prayer is a bold declaration for you and I that there are a lot of things that we can do without him. The absence of prayer is a bold declaration. There are a lot of things that we can do without him. I said a minute ago that it's like breathing. And so I, I'm not sure where I read this or heard this. I don't want to take credit for it. But it's like breathing, not the prescription medicine that we take to clear up an infection. And then we take the medicine, prayer, 
and then we get, we get a solution, and then we stop praying. Because the urgency and the fervency is gone, and Jesus is not wanting us to see the ushered kingdom that's coming to be something that we just do occasionally. He wants us to show us how, from a motivation standpoint, and even from an outline standpoint. And, and if you've been in church for a very long time, we've all been able, we're all aware of the Lord's Prayer. And really, if you want to say this, I don't know where we came up with the title, The Lord's Prayer. To be very honest with you, this is the Lord's Prayer. But in essence, this is not the prayer that the Lord prays. That's in John chapter 17. That's the prayer that Jesus is praying. This prayer is really a disciple's prayer. And I wanted you to see it as that, as this is something that God the Father, through the power of the Son, is going, hey, I want you to pray this way. This is the way you should pray. And so it's really the disciples' prayer, if we really want to get down to it. So what I want to jump into is we're going to break this down, but the first four verses, five, six, seven, and eight, I'm going to read those for you right now, make a couple of comments, because this is sort of the introduction to the Lord's Prayer, and some, some really important reminders that I think we, we need as we get going. So here's what it says, uh, verse five, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. What do they do? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So who are they trying to bring fame to? Themselves, not to God. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to go in secret and pray? But no, nobody will see me. Nobody will see how religious I am. And Jesus is like, that's exactly the point. I want your character to be created, and that's done in the privacy when no one else is looking. And then verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. I think Ryan talked about this two weeks ago. They used all kinds of big words and big phrases, and they thought that the, 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 their measure of spirituality was because of the amount of words they would use or the phrases they would use to impress you with the way they would talk or the eloquence by which they speak. And Jesus is like, no, don't, don't do that. D verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And what he is saying right there is you need me. You need a relationship with me. You don't need their applause. You need me. And praying in this way will allow us to see and to savor truly what our greatest need is. And it's the Savior. And that's how he wants us, wants us to pray. I think really the one thing that stuck out to me is this word that was so convicting. There is an assumption in this prayer by Jesus in the way he's teaching in this really um, three-chapter sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And it's verse 5, and when you pray. Verse 6, but when you pray. Verse 7, and when you pray. That is one of the things that stuck out to me so much this week and every time I read this this prayer or read the, the leading into it. There is an assumption that Jesus understands or that you understand the importance of prayer 
by his own personal life and what he's modeled and by being a follower of God. The, the, the argument here is I'm not telling you, I'm not fighting for you to pray. I'm really fighting for you to pray in the right way, the right motivation. And when you pray, it says it three times. And so here, here, here is, that's the setting for which the prayer sort of lands. That's the setting for which it, it, it builds. And, and really the prayer, um, the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer, um, I, after, you know, the Bible's been written for I don't know how many years, and then all of a sudden I'm up here this morning, I'm going to change it. It's not the Lord's prayer, it's the disciples' prayer. There, you're welcome for that, right? Um, but but here, here is the outline, and I, I want to give you that outline. It's broken really into two parts with three petitions in each part. So there are two parts, and there are three petitions in each part. So that makes a total of six petitions, and we're going to go through this really slowly and then make four lessons, or really identify four lessons that I think we can walk away with. So here's our outline. The first part is our Father. And our Father, this is where we come, this is where we begin, this is where we start, and we're talking the three petitions, your name, your kingdom, and your will. And so here's what he says, verse 9. He says, when you do pray, I want you to pray like this. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. The first two words are radical and beautiful, and I don't want your familiarity with this prayer to miss those first two words. And so first we're praying in private, and our motivation right, and then we come into a community, and we're praying as a body going, our Father, we are in community, lifting up God's name together, voicing his concern, voicing our dependence on him. Our Father, it's made in community. The second thing he says is that the our and then Father. In the Old Testament, it was so rare for you to refer to God as a Father because they thought that it was too irreverent. It was disrespectful to refer to God as Father. Jesus comes and flips it all on the on that flips it all on his heels. And says, when you pray, I want you to call him father using that word Abba, meaning he knows exactly what you need. He's a good father. What we have to understand is that we do not need to let, through the power of the spirit, the, the possible damage your own earthly father has done to rob you of what this true meaning is. Sometimes we've been offended Sometimes we've been hurt by our own earthly father and using this term can cause up a lot of memories that are just not good. So he's coming to us and he's saying, God, I want you, I want you to call him your father. He is yours, our father. I, I, I read this quote, I'm gonna read it to you. It says this, we're not just individuals in relationship with God, but we are part of a community of people who have the same access to God Prayer is a collective exercise. This let, let it sink in that you and I get to pray to the God of the universe and have a relationship with him that's possible through Jesus. We get to call on him who can make the storms quiet, the seas, that heal the, the blind, the lame to walk. We're calling on him, and that's who we get to talk to. That's who we get to serve. That's who we're addressing, and we have access to him. How? 
through the blood sacrifice of Jesus, our Savior. So we say, our Father, who's where? Who's in heaven. Then here's the first petition, which I believe is the whole hinge point of the, of the prayer. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're making a declaration right now. Your name is way more important than my name. And let's be honest, we fight that a lot. Making a name for ourselves is one of the issues and one of the, the ways that pride is played out in our lives. And he's saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name to be esteemed. Your name to be revered. Your name to be ushered in as holy. Your reputation is way more important than my reputation. And he's like, I want you to begin that way. I want you to start that way. I want you to call on the God of the universe who brought all this into existence, who is going to bring it all back and make all things right. And I want you to hallow his name. His name is holy. There's no one like him and you're not him. And that's how I want you to begin. God's reputation in the world is more important than my reputation. Then the second petition, he comes in verse 10. Your kingdom come. Let me tell you something. I am so glad that we are so good at not creating our own little kingdoms. Aren't you? We are masterful at that. But through God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is sitting there saying, Here's how you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's your reputation, it's not mine. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. I want to live for that kingdom. It's pleading that his kingdom would come. And it's also an exercise of hearing yourself say this as a community to recognize that we are really good at trying to establish these little kingdoms off to the side that are worshiping of ourselves. And not worshiping, not worshiping him. Verse, the petition, the next petition goes on. So hallowed be your name. Here's a petition one. Petition two is your kingdom come. And then a third petition would be your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What, what, what a beautiful, beautiful prayer to sit there and say, God, I want what's going on in heaven to be going on here. I am looking for your kingdom to be ushered in to this place. I, I'm looking forward to that. I want that. I want to see it. I know you can do it. And I want to be a part of seeing that take place. I look forward to that day. Then what's going on there is happening here. No more sin. No more death. No more disease. No more insulin pumps. No more chemo. Those things, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What, what would it happen, Northwest? Dream with me a little bit. What would it happen if you and I made a declaration to be salt and light this summer and the way we prayed was not like the hypocrites, but we prayed with these three petitions on a consistent basis, God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What in the world do you think our church would look like? What do you think our community would look like? We all have preferences 
I occasionally will drive in my car and listen to Station 39 on XM Radio. And that station is labeled Hair Nation. It is heavy metal. Occasionally, I will do that. Some good Bon Jovi every once in a while. I'm just being honest. We all have preferences. Here's what he's saying right now. If you're going to stand on a street corner and pray for everybody to see you, that your preferences are bigger than the possession of, of me. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for your community, and I don't want that for your church. So I want you to pray this way. I want you to hallow his name. I want you to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can't imagine what it would look like in our church, in our community, if we were saying, listen, let, let's dedicate ourselves to praying just like that. See that motivation? Well, now we come to our second request. So there's two requests, and then there are six petitions. So the second request, so first of all, we talk about God. What does God want? And then the second is, is our request. So we come to this uh, section where, hey, we're, we're lined up with who God is. And here's the difference right now. Many times we approach God like he's a genie in a bottle. He's just, oh, just give me, give me, give me, give me this. Instead of his name to be revered and his kingdom to be ushered in and his will to be done. But we treat him like a genie. When we pray this way, we're able to establish our hearts first vertically, which is everything the, new, the, the, the Ten Commandments have said. And even the summary of the commandments in Matthew chapter 22. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Or love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's a summary. It's getting us vertically aligned. And it's something that we, tr we fight for and struggle with each and every day. So then we're vertically aligned. And then he comes and here are some more, uh, the, the more requests. And here's what we ask for. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And so really what he's asking us to do is, God, I depend upon you to give me today everything that I need, all the provisions that I need. I ask you to give me those things. I'm not asking for severe wealth. I'm not asking for poverty. I'm asking you as the grantor of everything, every good and perfect gift comes from you. I'm asking you to provide for me. I'm asking you to give me what I need for today. And tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you, Give me, my, give me today my daily bread. Sustain me. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is not simply just talking about bread. It's talking about living. It's talking about living and being taken care of, being provided for. And that's who he is. That's what he does. And, and Jesus is teaching us, I want you to pray this way. Ask the Lord not to just give you so much or this, 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 and this. Just give me enough to make it through today. Give me, uh, give us our daily bread. I think one of the single aims of advertising today, whether you look at what, what, whatever you look at, whatever venue you look at, whether it's Instagram, whether it's an article, I think the single aim of advertising 
is to take away our joy and cause us to be ill-content and want more and more and more. Every avenue that we look at is, well, that's not enough. You need this, you need this, and you need this. You're not content. That is the agenda. That's the aim of, ag- I mean, listen, I know we've all been freaked out before where we have talked about something that we have wanted and then all of a sudden on some social media feed, it's there. How did that happen? Who is listening to me? And, and, and one of the aims, again, is causing us to say, you don't have right experiences, you don't have enough, so you want more. What he's saying is, God, I'm asking you, in Jesus' name, give me today what I need to honor you, please you, live for you, be a disciple who is truly following you, and to be content with what you have provided for me. Here's petition number uh, number five which is our forgiveness. This is verse 12. Now listen, just the way I've worked out the message, verse, um, verse, verse 12 also picks up forgiveness back in 14, gives a little bit more explanation. I'm not gonna go on to 14, we're gonna, we're going, or excuse me, 15. I'm just gonna handle it right here at verse 12. What does it say in verse 12? And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The heart of true Christianity is forgiveness. That's why Jesus is not praying this prayer, because he doesn't need forgiveness. He is sitting there and he's reminding us that our, that, that, that peace with God only comes through pardon and forgiveness, not through our performance. Listen, let me say it again. Our true, true forgiveness, the basics of Christianity is that our pardon comes from Jesus saying, you are forgiven. Go and sin no more. That's where our forgiveness comes. That's the basics. That's the basis of Christianity. It's not through our performance. It's through his forgiveness. The, 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 Jesus is teaching us, come and ask. God, forgive us of our debts. Listen, it's not saying be at peace with all people. It's saying, I want you to forgive because you have been forgiven. I want you to demonstrate what's already been done to you. Jesus says that you are forgiven, then you're to also do likewise. So Jesus is forgiving us, and then we are forgiving others. It's the most beautiful thing in the world, and it's a demonstration of how God loves us. We are to love like Jesus loved us, and we are to forgive like Jesus loved us. What's the, the sixth petition? The sixth petition is this. Our temptation and forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We know from James verse 1, verse 13, that God cannot tempt us. So then what is it talking about? And lead us not in temptation. We live in a fallen world and bad things happen. And so what, the, what, what you're praying for is, God, I'm asking you to keep me from areas that I might fall into. I realize that I might have to go through struggles. And if I do go through those struggles, then, then I'm just asking you to, to deliver me. I'm asking you to deliver me. I, I might be in situations where I'm tempted. 
I'm asking you to not allow me to go through those tempting situations. But if I do go through those tempting situations, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting that you're going to deliver me from the one who can take me down. I, I think maybe maybe illustrate it this way. Um, since it is senior recognition day, I'll pick on Molly, my daughter of the four. And so let's just picture that Molly is two. Molly truly loves Bunch of Crunch. You know what Bunch of Crunch is? Bunch of Crunch is in a little box at the movie theater. And it's like Rice Krispies and chocolate goodness. And little, you know what I'm talking about? You can Google that later if you know what Bunch of Crunch is. It is delicious. So if in the grocery store and Molly is too and she loves Bunch of Crunch, I know if I go down the aisle that says where Bunch of Crunch is, is, it's going to tempt her. It's going to distract her. She's going to scream her head off because she wants it. But as her father, I'm not going to go down that aisle. I'm going to go down the aisle with the vegetables to keep her away from that temptation. And so here Jesus is sitting and in, in, in he's sitting here. And I want you to pray. God, there are situations we live in a fallen world and I'm recognizing that, you know, there are things that happen that I don't understand. Jesus says, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but Lord, not my will. Is there any other way? But Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And so he's saying, hey, allow these tempting situations not come my way but lord deliver me and why why because jesus went off and was tempted for 40 days and did not sin he was tempted and always like us but did not sin why because he's jesus and he is perfect and we are not because we're built different okay that's for my family we, we we just we have to understand that we're different we're sinful Jesus is not, and here he is right now. He is telling us, hey, we need your protection. We need your protection. What do we learn? There's four things that we learned that I just want to summarize this as we just over the next maybe eight minutes. What, what do we learn from these? I think one of the first things that we learn right now is that the, the praying this way reminds us that God's presence is better than his provision. That God's presence is better than his provision. Listen to me. Listen to me. We come and look at the order of this, this, this prayer is focusing on the, the, the reverence of God's name, hallowing his name, talking about his kingdom and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It aligns us up to be focused on his presence is the greatest thing that has ever been given to us in all of our lives. There's nothing like the presence of God. And it sets us up to be able to pray and to put our possessions in the right place. But it makes us realize that your presence, that having a relationship with you is more precious than anything else in this world. And the way that Jesus has organized this prayer is for us to be focused on him and what he who he is. Not what he provides. Not what he provides. And then I think uh, another thing, too, is when we're praying, 
Lord, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, and your will be done. Number two, I think that this is what takes place. Praying this way makes us bold. I, I, I am sitting here, and I'm studying this week, and I have, I have taught this in the past before. I have prayed this prayer in groups before. I'm very familiar with this prayer, and I'm grateful that the power of the Holy Spirit, when you study it, you see different things new, and you see new things at times when you go through it. And praying this way makes us bold. And last week, this connects with Brian's message, phenomenal message last week, when we were talking about being salt and light in our community. He asked a question. He said, raise your hand if you've been saved in the last five years. And there were a couple of hands up. And then he said this, what would it look like for us to ask that question five years from now and a hand goes up and I was a Muslim and now I'm a follower of Jesus. I was an atheist and now I'm a follower of Jesus. I was walked away from Christ and, and I am back. My marriage has been restored and people are raising their hands where they have been, they have, they have found Jesus or Jesus has rescued them and saved them in the last five years. And when I'm looking at this and I'm saying, Jesus, you were asking us to boldly approach you as our father for your kingdom, for your name to be revered, for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. And Ryan last week was praying about what would it look like in this place for hands to go up and saying, I was introduced to this, this Jesus and my life is different. I met him at the swimming pool in Cary Park. Because somebody told me. And I found myself unbelievably convicted after the message last week of how bold Matt writes, are you praying? And when I look at the Lord's prayer, when I see it, there is a boldness that I see in the organization of the prayer to say, God, I cannot do this, but I'm asking you in Jesus' name for you to do something supernatural. And I found myself even Thursday, Friday, and Saturday praying boldly for those things that Ryan listed last week. What would it look like at Northwest for those hands to go up five years from now? Well, what do we attribute it back to the movement of God for us being salt and light in the summer of 2022? Praying this way makes us bold. Praying this way keeps us humble before God. One of the greatest dangers of my life and your life is our lack of humility in, in, in the issue of pride. And one of the greatest dangers of the church and as us as individuals is the issue of pride. It allows us to be humble that I can't do these things without you, Lord. And, 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 and so I need you to do them. I, I, when I first became diabetic, my mom would go to the store and I got to be honest with you, I love M&M's a lot. The chocolate ones, not the peanut ones. Occasionally the peanut butter ones. But I like M&M's, I like them a lot. My mom, I remember my mom coming home from the store and she bought these. I found these. These are sugar-free M&M's. They're SD. They have all kinds of stuff. And I would eat them and I would be like, I love you, mom, but these are gross. <laughs> it's not the real thing. And one of the greatest dangers is when you and I play God. 
is when you and I take his place or try to. And orchestrating and praying this prayer in a community of believers as a family allows us to recognize I am not God, I will never be God, and I'm going to try not to pretend. There's one God, and he's good. And he gave us Jesus so that we could have a relationship, and he could do something through us and in us that I don't think we've ever, we've even imagined what it would look like. So praying this way, Praying this way, we become a unified community. It's one of the things I think that happens in our body. Remember, we're going away and we're praying in closet. That's not a contradiction. It's really ironing out what is your motivation. Then we come together and we pray. And we pray in a community and we call out with the first thing, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's no one like him. There's none. You are everything. You are it. And I want my life to demonstrate that, to model that, and to represent that. The Lord's Prayer reminds us of this shared belief that as we pray this in community, we understand. I don't know about you, but don't you want that? I want that. I want that for us. I want that for us, and I want that for the glory of God, and I want that for the, for the people that we live around. I mean, I hope you signed up over here where you are praying that God would, would allow you to be salt and light this summer. I pray that this prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Lord's Prayer, how he instructed his disciples to pray, that the, the Lord would use this in your life to really focus you vertically and allow our motivations to be pure and right. The hypocrites were not praying the way the Father wanted them to pray. So he taught them. And in teaching them, he teaches us. And I think it would be a massive miss for us not to say this prayer together to just close our time. So we'll have this on screen. I'll start us. I love you guys. And I'm grateful for us to be able to be in the Sermon on the Mount and what this text teaches us about making sure that we're not hypocrites in the way that we pray. We don't want to be hypocrites in anything. We want our yes to be yes, our no to be no. But specifically regarding prayer, he gives us what we can do. So he said, pray then like this. Let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh, thank you. I didn't put that on the screen, so I'm going to say this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us, and let's sing. God in heaven, I want to thank you for this prayer. I want to thank you, God, for you 
not just telling us to pray, but showing us how to pray. I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. I thank you for what we're learning in that. I thank you, God, that you're coming after our hearts. I thank you that you are trying to help us. You're trying through the power of your spirit to allow us not to be hypocrites. Lord, please let the way we live not be an excuse for someone to say no to you. Let us demonstrate what we believe. Let our words and our actions not be hypocritical. Let us not be, let, let us not live in such a way that people would be surprised to know that we are believers. We love you and we thank you that we can hallow your name. We can call your kingdom come and it is your will, not ours. We thank you for all your provisions, but we thank you for your presence most of all. In Jesus' name, amen.